we're going to study for just a little while this evening about commitment. Um, you know, relationships do not work without commitment. Friendships don't work properly without commitment. Marriages do not work properly without commitment. Any endeavor that uh, we engage in in life does not work properly unless there's a level of commitment. And it's even more so when we talk about the church. Each and every person here has a role to fulfill. And like we said earlier this morning, uh, there are no second-class Christians. Everyone here is important. You all have value. And just because I'm up here speaking and, and there are elders present and deacons and, and other evangelists, we are, we are no more important than you are. Uh, everybody here has value. So <clears throat> we're going to study a little bit about commitment this evening. been titled the uh, study all in, holding nothing back for self. Um, I'm going to tell y'all a story that most of y'all know more about than I do. Some of you probably don't know any of it at all, but I'm going to refresh your minds somewhat. And I don't mean to put this individual on a pedestal. Uh, his life speaks for itself. Uh, <clears throat> I was returning with a brother from New Mexico a few years ago. Uh, we were coming back from a meeting, and uh, he relayed a story to me uh, about a brother in Christ who has gone on. His name was Justin Springer. His name is Justin Springer. Uh, to give you a little background about this man, uh, when he was young, uh, I only met him a couple of times, and I can't remember if he was traveling with Jay Henderson uh, or with Jerry, and they can't tell me which one it was either. They can't remember because he traveled with both of them. But I remember he came to Allison, Texas, uh, when he was trained to be an evangelist. And uh, he's a big, big young guy, big, big man, and uh, just full of cheer and joy. Uh, that's the only time I got to meet him. But I've gathered several stories over the years and come to find out that he was, a, he was a really good football player, good enough to get a scholarship to Oklahoma State. And all you, all you OU fans and Texas fans and U of H fans and Rice fans don't get mad. But uh, he had that much talent. And uh, he was told that he would be allowed to uh, attend the services on Sunday night and Wednesday night when he was being recruited. Uh, but when the, when the rubber hit the road, the way I understand it was they did not facilitate that. And I'm, I'm familiar with that. They make promises that don't always fall through. But also the atmosphere of being around uh, a bunch of football players that really didn't have an interest in God, you know, contributed to it, but, you know, he, he, uh, 
He quit playing football. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, that speaks volumes to me. Uh, because of my background and my love for the sport, I used to love it more than anything. But <clears throat> he stopped that. Why did he stop that? Well, because he wanted to serve the Lord. Now, that, that makes a statement. To give up a very valuable education, possibly even make a bunch of money playing a kid's game, to serve the Lord. And you know, <clears throat> Justin served uh, domestically. He served overseas. I believe he was the head of the, the work in, in Africa for some time. He was loyal. He was faithful. He was cheerful. And as many of you know, he come down with a, a very terrible uh, cancer. And as this progressed, the way I understand it, he knew that he was going to leave his, uh, leave his wife and his kids behind. He knew he was going to leave you folks behind, his church family, for a little while. And this individual that I was traveling back with from the meeting was telling me about Justin because he had visited Justin just shortly before uh, he left this journey, this part of his journey. And do you know what he told this man? He said, I bet it all on Christ. I bet it all on Him. I'm all in. Since then, I've heard the same story from two other evangelists. I'm all in. I bet it all on Christ. I'm going to tell you something. I lost a lot of sleep behind that story. I did. And I'm going to tell you why. I had a serious doubt whether I could say the same thing. Could I say that I'm all in? So if I step on your toes this evening, I want you to know that I stepped on mine first. Uh, I, was, I was told a long time ago, don't ever apologize for the scripture, so I'm not going to do that. But we're going to study about that commitment for a while this evening. <clears throat> There in Matthew 22 and 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And the fact of the matter is, is we cannot. We cannot be the best husbands we need to be, the best wives we need to be, the best children, brothers. We can't do any of it unless we put God first. That's right. We are to love God more than our wives. And wives, you are to love God more than you love your husbands. Because any, any other way, it don't work. It just don't work. Not to its fullest potential. You know, many of you who put these studies together know that a lot of times we go off on rabbit trails and kind of get sidetracked. And I, I'm not going to take you too far down this path right here, but I think it has relevance to what we're studying. Deathbed conversions. You can get 
on the internet and, and search these things. There are many, many famous people, scientists, physicists, actors, musicians, who supposedly converted on their deathbed. And every time that I've located one where they actually interviewed the person and asked them why they did it, do you know what the answer is? <coughs> Just in case. Just in case. Now I ask you, is that all in? <clears throat> I had a when I was 22 years old top of physical condition and the world was at my feet I was getting ready to go live my dream playing football for money a guy ran a yield sign and hit me Flipped my truck three times and rolled it three times, and he shot me through the windshield. And you know how they say that your whole life passes before your eyes in a moment when you think you're going to die? That ain't true. It didn't happen like that for me. As I was looking down that truck rolling underneath me, I had enough time to do one thing. And it wasn't thinking about a foolish game that I intended to play my whole life. It was not my family. It was not my friends. You know what it was? It was, dear God, please forgive me my sins. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. That's what it was. And I woke up in the middle of a wheat field with my right leg beside my head. And I was so thankful that I was alive. And I'm going to tell you why. But guys, I had a very immature, about what, immature idea about what being a Christian is. I thought that I could do whatever I wanted, enjoy these few things that I knew were sin, as long as I could say, dear God, please forgive me in Jesus Christ's name before I went to sleep at night. That, that's, that was my idea, that I could do that. Now what is that lacking? It's lacking repentance. Because every time I had a full intent to do this again and again and again. That's not all in. It's not. Hedging the future. It's a risk management strategy used to limit the offset. The prob probability of loss to protect yourself against loss by supporting more than one possible result. Or both sides of a competition. Now, you, those of you who invest in the stock market, you know that your advisors are always going to tell you, diversify. Don't put all your money in Phillips 66 or whatever. Diversify. Spread your investments. That way, if one stock crashes, it doesn't ruin you. Brothers and sisters, God is not like that. He is not like that. He don't like spreading it out. He wants us all. Colossians 3 and 17. And who, whatsoever you do in word or do, deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. He wants us all. He don't want 95%. He don't want 99%. He wants every bit of us. We're given a couple of examples in the New Testament 
of commitment or the lack thereof. One of them there in Matthew chapter 19, starting in 16, the rich young man, or some people call him the rich young ruler, says, And behold, one came and said unto him, approaching Jesus, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. That's a pretty good guy. I mean, he's a pretty good guy. I wish I was only lacking one thing. This young man. Jesus said unto him, If that will be perfect, go and sell all that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. He had it all together, but that one thing. And he kept it back. This young man had an opportunity to travel with Jesus. And he wouldn't give up that one thing. Stories like this, they trouble me. I'm wondering, did this guy ever come? Did he ever come to the Lord? I don't know. We're not told. Another example we're given there in Acts, and this is during the, uh, when the church was first established there. Acts chapter 5 and verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thy heart to lie unto the Holy Ghost and to keep back a part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. The same thing happened to his wife. Now why did they die? Well, they, they lied to the Holy Ghost. What were they lying about? They were lying about being all in. I've got uh, there in Matthew ch uh, chapter 6 and 24, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. My... Uh, <clears throat> A great uncle came down with a very similar form of cancer that Justin had. And as he neared the end of his life, he had three sermons he gave right before he passed. And the last one, you know one of the statements he made in his notes? It says, some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are Christians. That's, that don't sound right, does it? What he meant by that was this. Christians who try to live for God on Sunday and maybe Wednesday night 
and maybe here and there, but the rest of the time, they're doing what they want and they're living in the world. Because they know what's right. And they know what they should be doing and they're not doing it. They're conflicted. They are not whole. They are miserable. Man cannot serve God and mammon. I've got a couple of, of uh, examples here that I picked out for myself because I struggled with some of this stuff in the past. You can plug in all kinds of stuff. The list could be endless about things that we should be committed wholly to uh, that are God's. Attendance of services. <clears throat> now, my parents made the mistake of buying me a pickup truck when I got my license. And we attended church 80 miles away. Now, what do you think I did? Well, I showed up for church five minutes late. You know why I did that? Because I didn't want to be asked to lead a song. I didn't want to be asked to help wait on the table. That sends a message to God. Our actions or lack thereof send a message to God. Romans, I apologize for not having this on the PowerPoint. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. got an old an elder, older couple it's been three or four years ago they planned their vacation the whole summer I kept seeing them at meeting after meeting after meeting and there towards the end of that summer I asked the lady is your husband alright because he was looking kind of wore out and she said uh, he's alright he's just a little tired uh, we've been to the assembly of the saints for 38 days straight. Made me feel about that tall. You know what? They thought that was reasonable service. Hebrews 10 and 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Another area, participation in services. Uh, by the way, we have an answer for that back in Wheeler, showing up late for church. We've got an answer for that now. It's an elder called David Zebach. And he stands back there in the back and he keeps a song or two in his pocket. So when them young guys come dragging in, guess what? You're up. So nobody comes in late anymore. Everybody's on time, ain't they, John? <laughs> Participation in services. What does it say to the Lord when I stay up till 1 or 2 o'clock on Saturday night and I come and sit in the pew and my mind is wandering, I'm bobbing and weaving, trying to stay awake? That sends a message to the Lord, right? 
Every single congregation that I can think of has at least one or two of the people I'm about to describe. And many of them have many. I think we've got seven, seven at home. From the time that they pull up in the parking lot until they get to the seat, it may take them 10, 15 minutes. Because they're on a walker or a cane or a wheelchair. And every step is excruciating. It's not comfortable. The pews are not comfortable. But they are going to be there. If they can be there, they're going to be there. And you know what? They consider that reasonable service. John 4 and 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's what God, that's what He demands of us. He don't want the half-hearted service. He wants all of us. Laying by in store. Uh, now don't get me wrong here, fellas. We need to take our wives out to eat. Okay. But what does it say to the Lord when I go drop a $100 bill to take my wife out to eat and go get her some ice cream afterwards or whatever? And I do that. And then when the time comes to give as we have prospered, I reach in my pocket and just grab whatever. Dollar, two, five, some change. I've done that before. What does that say to the Lord? Because it sends a message. I'll tell you, uh, you, some of you may argue with me, but I'll argue back. I think I've got the most blessed job in the world. <laughs> I mean, most blessed life. I've got healthy kids. I've got beautiful grandkids. I've got a beautiful wife. I get to travel around and talk to people about Jesus. What more could you ask for? So what does it say to the Lord when I give Him the chunk change about how I value Him and the way He has blessed me? It sends a message. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Work. Now I know some of you may have jobs that you don't enjoy. You may have bosses that are just really nasty people. Okay? But have you ever known a person that's cheerful in all weathers? You don't see them much anymore. Cheerful in all weathers. Folks, when we go to work, we are not working for Joe Smith. Or I'm, I'm sorry, if there's a Joe Smith in here, I'm not throwing rocks at you. We are not working for whoever that boss, bought that man. We're not working for him. We're not working for the corporation. We are working for the Lord. And when we're in involved in those, in those jobs, guess what? When we're cheerful in all weathers and we work as unto the Lord, 
Everybody around us sees that. It convicts people. We're not the one convicting them. It, it, it is Jesus Christ reflected in us. Ephesians 6 and 5, Servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as unto the Lord and not to men. We're working for the Lord. Leisure. This is a big one here. Leisure. Well, I done lost my... That's probably a good thing I lost my phone. <clears throat> Go home. Pick up your TV remote. Look at those numbers and letters on your TV remote. Are they worn off? Or better yet, pick up your phone or your computer, your iPad, whatever. Is it covered in fingerprints? Then... Go get your Bible and run your finger across the cover. Has it got dust on it? That sends a message to the Lord. I used to say when I first started giving this lesson that I'm not preaching against TV and movies and stuff like that, but I'm not even going to go there anymore. We know what's right and we know what's wrong when we're looking at that stuff. If we can't thank God for it, we shouldn't be doing it. I understand leisure. You know, God give, gives, gifts us with things to enjoy. But we have to use uh, good judgment in those things. 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How are we going to share the good news and develop relationships with people in the world if we don't know the word? How can we minister unto them? I mean, that, that's the tool. That is the tool. Our speech. How do we talk when we're not here with our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's easy to talk good when we're all together, ain't it? It's easy. You don't ever hear anybody dropping any bombs in here. You don't hear any cussing in here, do you? How do we talk when we're out there amongst people in the world? How do we, what do we leave out? How many times do we bite our tongues when we have opportunities to share the gospel? We've uh, another brother that's gone on to his reward. He ended up in an assisted living home up in Oklahoma. He couldn't walk. He could barely feed himself. You know what? He still had his mind and he still had his heart. He still had his mouth. He had two nurses, one that took care of him at night, one that took care of him during the day. Do you know what happened? He shared the gospel. 
One of those nurses obeyed the gospel. And she's still in the church today. Now that man was not physically able to get down in the water with her because he couldn't walk. But I'm going to tell you something. He did what he could do. And he shared the word of God. And now that sister, that, well, she's a sister. She's a member of the church. Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Everything we say should edify. Matthew 13 and 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in the field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. These men didn't give up every, they didn't give up part of what they had. They gave it all up for that pearl. Brothers and sisters, we have that great pearl. And we need to be giving up everything for it. That's what God expects of us. This scripture right here is, it, it's become one of my favorite. Jeremiah 12 and 5. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if in the land of peace wherein thou trusteth, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? I'm sure that y'all can remember a time when we didn't even think about somebody coming in here and hurting our people. It wasn't too long ago, was it? If you, if you would have said, I don't know, 10 years ago, that there's a possibility that you know these things can happen, people can bust in and start hurting our people, you probably would have said, that's crazy. That's never happened. Times are changing. You know, it's not a it's not a unique situation. God promises us hardship. Okay, we've lived in a in a period of time where Christians did not need to fear in this land. And I'm no prophet, but we need to look and see how things are progressing. It's no longer that way. There's hardly any congregations that I go to that don't have one or two men sitting in the back to make sure that nobody comes in here wishing harm, okay? If we're not right with God now, what's it going to be like when things get really bad? What's it going to be like if we're, if we're tired now when we're walking with the footmen? What's it going to be like when the war horses show up? If we're having trouble dedicating our lives in a time of peace, what's it going to be like when the River Jordan floods? You know what happened when the Jordan flooded? That water came out and it drove the lions and the crocodiles all out of those, you know, rushes and brush. And those things wreaked havoc across the land on man and beast. 
What's it going to be like if we don't have our stuff in line with God now and then it gets really hard? When people start to ask us to deny our faith, when they start persecuting us for preaching, what are we going to do? Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 11, starting there in verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Uh, I've been in some of the worst places this country has. And I'm going to tell you something, I've never experienced any of that. None of it. You can see I, I hadn't missed any meals. Not very many. Paul makes a statement about all these things that he suffered for Christ. And he makes statements in other parts of his letters about uh, all that he gave up for Christ. And you know what he said? He counted it all as dung. Now you people that are country people, you know what I'm talking about. It was nothing compared to the great reward that awaited him. Paul was all in. <clears throat> you all know people that had the attitude similar to what Justin had when they got ready, when they were leaving this life. You, you know people like that. My little grandma, my little grandma, Anna Duke, she's four foot ten. <clears throat> Beautiful Christian woman. I learned as much from her as I did any, any of the men. I mean, she, I spent a lot of hours in her kitchen and her talking about God and reading Scripture. I'm a beautiful lady. Her letters used to come like clockwork to me when I was in that bad place. And I look forward to those letters. I treasure, treasure those letters. And every letter that she sent, there would be her notes about the lesson, the lessons from that Sunday. About the last year of her life, her writing got so bad because she had tremors. So she would uh, have my cousins write them for her as she, 
as she dictated them, you know. And uh, my cousins would dictate these letters, and I think Bonnie Doty did most of them, but you know what she would say in those letters? She'd talk about her garden, how she couldn't garden anymore because she, she loved gardening. She couldn't garden because she couldn't get down. She couldn't walk, really. She couldn't bake. She loved making sweets. But you know what most of those letters were about? They were about Christ. They were about God. They were about, I don't know why the Lord is keeping me here because I'm ready to go be with Him. And she would say in every one of those last letters over that time period, you better hurry up and come home because I want to see you one more time before I go be with the Lord. I missed her by just a few months. But she had that attitude. I'm ready. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. Can I say that? Can you say that? We had a brother in Christ that came back to the church after many, many years and not being in the assembly. He would not partake of the Lord's Supper. He would sit there and listen to the sermon. He would pray. He would sing. Was there every time. And when they would offer the Lord's Supper, he would let it pass him by. And it bothered everybody. I mean, it bothered him. And finally... The elders went to his house. And uh, they asked him, Bob, you're faithful to come, and you, you, but you won't, you won't partake of the Lord's Supper. That's life. And he said, I'm not worthy. Well, the elders told him, ain't none of us worthy. The only thing that makes us worthy is the blood. And uh, he said, uh, it doesn't matter because every time I hear a sermon, I feel like I need to come to the front, but I'm too big of a coward. Now, you've got to understand, this man was Superman when I was growing up. He was six foot four, 300-something pounds. I've seen him pick up a whole rack of tra tractor weights off the front end of the tractor and straighten up and walk it to a welding table and set it down. And yet, he said, I'm too big of a coward. Well, them elders told him, the aisle is right here. The aisle is right here. I'm going to tell you something. That man repented and he took care of whatever was between him and God. And he served the last years of his life faithfully, partaking of the Lord's Supper. And then he had a heart attack one day, unexpectedly. And they put him on that chopper and gathered around that chopper where our brothers and sisters in Christ and some of his children were there and his grandchildren and they asked him are you in pain Bob he said oh I'm not hurting too much 
He said, I'll tell you something else. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. As we were driving to the hospital in Amarillo to meet him in the ER, got a call. They're diverting to Pampa. He coded in the air. He died on that chopper. But I'm going to tell you something. Do you know how much value that had? For his children, for his grandchildren, for all of us. To hear him say, I'm ready to go be with the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that was the easiest funeral I've ever had to preach. Yeah, we were sad. We weren't sad for Uncle Bob. We were sad for ourselves. Because just like Justin, we weren't going to be able to see him for a while. For a little while. So I ask you, if you were to have a few seconds before you died this evening, if you get hit by a car leaving here and you got a few minutes to think about these things, could you say this, what Paul just said? 2 Timothy 4 and 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Can you say that? Can I say that? It's a very important question. Very important question. I'd ask you to get out your songbooks. You know, this part of the service, I think sometimes we we get kind of in a routine and we kind of overlook it. This is a true invitation. It's an invitation from the Lord. He wants all of you, all of us, to be with Him. He don't want us to live two lives. He don't want us to hurt. If you have never been buried in baptism and come in contact with that blood of Christ, uh, I don't know any other way to say it. The scripture says that there's only one way. There's only one truth. And he's given us that way. If you have not been buried with Christ in baptism and washed in his blood, you don't even have a chip in the game. You can't even, you can't even go all in because you're not even in the game. You've resigned yourself to loss. 
That is not God's will. He wants you. You have worth to Him. You are His creation. He gave His Son for you. So if we can help you with that, please come forward. If, brother and sister, if, if you're here and there's something standing between you and God, like that rich young ruler, whatever it is, you can get rid of that today. God will remove that. And you can be a full-fledged Christian again. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. So if we can help you in any way, please come forward and have a seat on the front bench as we stand and sing.